Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Live. My name is David Breer and I'm the CEO and founder of the funny little company called 11FS. And I'm Sarah Kachansky. I'm the head of research at 11FS. Um, audience, are you guys having a good time so far tonight? Awesome. Um, so we're here at OP Slush, uh, the after party in a really beautiful, beautiful Helsinki. Like looking kind of crispy, snowy outside. Pretty impressive, right? Yeah, it's, it's Christmassy outside, it's Christmassy inside. Indeed. Um, the, um, our friends at OP have invited us back after last year, so it must have gone pretty well. But last year was a bit different. We had um, a party on a beach, which was quite entertaining. Um, and this year, I think we've gone a little bit more uh, sort of Scandi Northern Lights, which is pretty cool, right, Sarah? It's beautiful. It's the only time I've ever seen the Northern Lights. But uh... <laughs> Indeed. Um, so this year, I think, um, you know, unlike the, the idea of the, the sort of... Uh, you know, cocktails. We've gone a bit different, haven't we, Sarah? Yeah. So there are some fan- there are some fantastic cocktails, but they are not frozen margaritas. They are made with um, with local spirits, and you should definitely check them out. Um, and in order to access one, you need to um, have this amazing facial recognition payment system from OP. I literally bought a drink with my face earlier, and um, anybody who knows me knows that I'm spectacularly good at breaking any new app. Give it to me, and it just won't work. This one actually worked. It also works if you're wearing a hat. If you're wearing sunglasses. Believe me, we've tried it. Um, so we're going to be getting into facial payments and many, many other ways of paying very shortly. But let's quickly give you an idea of how this show is going to go. So we're going to be taking a look at payments innovation in Scandinavia, what the future of payments looks like, and whether or not cash will be removed entirely. Um, we're lucky enough to have Finland, Iceland, and Sweden represented this evening. So we've got some fantastic local insights for you. We'll also be asking for your input, audience. But as always, we don't do this alone. There are some other seats on this stage, uh, and we have some fantastic guests coming up. So we're going to have, first and foremost, can we get uh, a round of applause, please, ladies and gentlemen, for Christian Luoma, who is the head of OP Labs, uh, and actually the major reason we're here today. So give Christian a round of applause. Hey, man. Thanks for that intro. No worries at all. And uh, joining us for the first part of today's show, please welcome Aoife Houlihan, who is the VP of Communications at Klarna, and Auschkir Orn Auschkirsen, CTO and co-founder of Maniga. And if I butchered either of your names, I apologize profusely. Please welcome the guest to the stage. Um, so welcome to the show, guys. Has everyone got a mic? Everyone's got a drink? Um, can we start off by uh, maybe you guys, um, Ifa and Ashke, giving us a quick overview of, of what you do on a day-to-day basis? Yes, uh, I'm uh, Ashke Raskeson. I'm, I'm CTO of a company called Menika. We are an Icelandic startup since uh, 2009. Uh, headquartered currently in, in UK with offices in Stockholm and, and Warsaw. So what we do, we, we, like, uh, we are le- leading provider of digital banking solutions with uh, reaching over six, 65 million customers in 30 countries. So our, we build a software that sits between like, uh, legacy systems of, 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 of banks and, uh, and uh, like consolidates data and reaches transactions and accounts data and provides uh, uh, services to, to, uh, to digital channels through APIs. And uh, that's, that's one of the business models, selling, selling uh, software like this to, to, to banks, both as an on-prem offering and, and, and uh, as a software as a service. But the other part is like a building a platform that is building a bridge between merchants and online banking users, so a multi-bank uh, solution for, for like a, uh, which is a, a kind of an advertisement system or, or like offers program 
that is a, can be used as loyalty programming or, or, or advertising channel for merchants through, through, uh, like a, through banks. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Aoife, how about you? Yeah, first, delighted to be here. Um, and thank you. Um, so I think lots of people may know who Klarna is, but I'll give the 10-second elevator pitch. Um, we are uh, not a new guy on the scene anymore. We're, 15, we're nearly 15 years old, but uh, we're a bank. We are uh, e-commerce provider. We are connected with 100,000 merchants, around 60 million consumers, 9 million added first half of this year, uh, 14 countries. Um, and I'm the head of communications globally. Um, so also lots of external relations, lots of regulation, but also lots of fun. <laughs> yeah, you guys have a finger in every pie these days. Um, well, many. <laughs> um, so for the first part of the show, we wanted to talk about new ways to pay. Payment innovation, particularly in this part of the world where we've seen so much of it. Um, not to mention there is OP's facial recognition payment system at play in this very room, um, which is the only way you can get a drink tonight. Um, Christian, I think you know a little bit about this. Could you please tell our listeners um, who aren't here to experience it for themselves what it is and how it works? Right, so basically we've been working on this for a while and uh, we're happy to have it approved uh, here. Um, so the way it works is that when, when you get to a tablet or a camera, uh, your face will be red, uh, a map will be formed out of that, and, and based on that we will, we will be matching your payment profile and, and then onwards um, making the payment actually from the cart rail. So in terms of the payments actually, um, nothing really new and innovative there. You can use whichever payment methods that you want to choose, but for the authorization we use facial map as well as other technologies. Brilliant. It, it's kind of strange. Like you guys are, you know, in in uh, Finland and Scandinavia more broadly, seem to be sort of leading on the edge of, of everything. So some of the stats that producer Laura sort of put in there. So 88% of Finnish residents use the internet, which is massively higher than the rest of the globe. We've got. 100% uh, of people under 55 using the internet, which is amazing. 68% uh, of people use the internet on their phones and 82% use online banking. You know, these statistics are just far and above what we sort of see everywhere else. But like, what's driving this? Why are you guys so digitally native? Well, for one, like we, we all live very far from the branches, so that's kind of the only way that you can you can survive. Like Necessity, if, essentially. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> exactly that. And uh, of, of course, there has been a lot of uh, exciting movements in the late 90s in banking sector. Uh, we were actually the first European bank ever to, to build an online online banking platform. So there's history in innovating with uh, new tools. Mm. So the, the ultimate... Maybe it's cold outside, let's just, the, just use the internet type thing and say, like, that works, exactly. right? Netflix is huge here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think as well, super infrastructure, 4G, 5G is an assumption. Um, like, you know, this is, the, the underlying conditions are very good. Um, I think you can't really treat all markets as homogenous in the Nordics. And like speaking from a Swedish point of view, our, on the e-commerce use, especially, you know, when we look monthly transactions, other things like that, we are 10, 15% above Finland, uh, Norway, and D uh, Denmark. So I think we're probably the most mature mm. in that sense. Oh, <laughs> that's mean. Yeah. Um, but we also see different patterns about cross-borders. So Sweden tends to buy a lot from Germany. Um, actually, Finland buys from Sweden. There's lots of you know, individual patterns. But I think... The term digital native is extremely relevant here because that is not a millennial or a Gen Z. It's actually every, uh, in all demographics. So yeah. um, I also think Nordic banks are 
quite progressive. I won't give you the full credit as being Thank you. amazing. Uh, I'll be honest, for the, for the people oh, on the podcast, you weren't catching all of the, the looks that were going on there. That, yeah. was, that, was, that was a beautiful thing. And I'm Irish, so... Yeah, <laughs> I, um, but I think from the banking perspective, they've done some great things. And I think the online banking experience and um, having a digital EID through Mobile Bank and other things in Sweden has really progressed that. But we, as a challenger bank, uh, think there's still room for disruption. Um, there's a lot of better experiences that are possible. And, um, but overall, I think the Nordics are quite well ahead of most other countries, especially on cash as well. Yeah. What, what do you think? Yeah, the uh, same applies to Iceland. And, uh, and uh, Icelandic uh, online banks, they have been known to be uh, by far... Uh, better than, than most of the online banks that uh, we, have, we have seen, seen in the world. And, uh, and the good thing about the Icelandic system is uh, we have for more than 20 years, we have had like a instant payments, like a, you, you see the payment instantly, even interbank payment, invoices are, are uh, issued electronically and has been for, for 20 years and uh, interbank uh, uh, invoices. And uh, and the reason why why Iceland is a, is a little bit of, has been on on front of of uh, uh, other parts of the world is is the fact that we are uh, traditionally we have been all the banks in Iceland have been building their infrastructure on, on top of the same backend really so it's the same like a clearinghouse uh, yeah. used by every bank so so it's uh, yeah. Well, connectivity is a lot easier at that point, isn't it? But, yeah. um, but I guess from, from an audience perspective, you know, you guys look like you're probably within all of these statistics, but is there anybody actually in the room who doesn't use online banking? Like, don't be shy if there's some crazy reason why you don't. Like, we'd like you to put your hand up now. And nobody did. Okay, so I mean, statistics. How about, do, like, actually paying bills online? Is there anybody who doesn't pay their bills online? Wow. That's what about shopping online? Anybody doing shopping not online? Does anybody still go into a shop? Like, does it, yeah, okay. Uh, just, just for clarification. Yeah, okay. people, they, they're not so, dead. They so a few shop. people did. Like, I'll be interested. Like, Laura's got a mic. You're going to regret putting your hand up right now. Lady right there, who's trying to vi- viciously not make eye contact with me right now. Um, but, like, what, madam, why, why, do you not go, why do you not do it online? Why do you go to a shop? You right there. Yeah. I do both, so I also use uh, web, but uh, yeah. for some reason it's nicer, uh, at least when you are uh, looking after crowds, so it's much easier to go to the boutique, still. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think there's a difference what we've seen there is between services, people are very happy to do services online to, to pay their bills, to sort their banking out, but when it's actually a nice experience that you want, you want to go into a shop, you want to touch something, you want to make sure that it's actually right for you, then that's a very different, a different um, set of tools that you need, really. Like, personally, I buy literally everything via Amazon now. Like, literally yeah. everything via Amazon. You, sh- you should see our office. It's carnage. Like, it Black is. Friday has just resulted in an <laughs> Amazon deluge. Um, so, you know, everyone is, is taking their lives, their businesses, their shopping, their payments online. You know, we're, we've started to see some innovation here, but as you mentioned, Christian, you're still using sort of debit and credit card behind those, um, yep. behind those payments innovations. So do we think that they're ever going to be replaced? Do you think there's going to be another option there? Um, and if so, what's it going to be? And that's open to everybody. I mean, Christian, yeah, I, first, I, I think that's a very important and, and interesting question. And I'll be honest, like the fact that we have so high penetration of debit and, and credit cards is actually 
uh, have been an impediment for mobile payments and, and, and other sort of new forms of payment. Um, we're sort of hopeful that this facial recognition payment actually feels different to um, like the mobile payments versus credit card payments. Uh, so yeah, I, I believe that the cards will be there for a good while. Of course, they will be in a tokenized form, um, but uh, nevertheless, the concept of uh, issued card will be there. What about you guys? Do you think the cards are going to be replaced? Or do you think that we're, we're going to be stuck with debit and payment cards as the actual sort of rails of payment or method of payment for, for the near future? Uh, I, I think I, yes. Like, I think we'll walk out with our phone and our, our watch and the card will be in a drawer with the checkbook. Uh, and I think that's, you know, there's still going to be cards. Um, but I think, I don't want to get too stuck on the form factor because I think that's kind of irrelevant. And we get into NFC and all of this stuff. But I think mm. the way that people actually use cards is quite interesting and what we're seeing is especially with our pay later product is um 67 percent of millennials in the u.s don't carry a credit card they don't want revolving credit so they are using our services as a means of purchase power um also to get the goods and try them on before they make that decision so this is sort of delta between online and offline is bridged and, and just just on that can you explain the pay later because that's yeah, of course. that's a really interesting product in itself isn't it yeah so it's, it's sort of a try before you buy but um, if i take the uk as an example it is you order the goods you receive them um no money leaves your account and you have 30 days there's no fees no interest uh, there's no fees or interest at any point, actually, and it's a soft credit check. Um, it's not an open line of credit, so each transaction is on a risk assessment. Um, super smooth, but it also is an alternative to a credit card in being able to buy something on a slightly deferred basis. We also see that as not only a millennial, but new mums don't want to go into a shop and, you know, with a kid in a changing room and jeans that don't fit and et cetera, et cetera. I think the last, my best friend just had a baby and I can guarantee that's yeah. the last thing yeah. she wants in the world. Um, but I think also what's really interesting is how debit is evolving. And I think that the card in however that exists, maybe not in a physical card, but actually as a transfer or whatnot. But we have a product which allows you take out installments on your debit card. So you buy a hundred euro pair of jeans that's in four installments of 25 euros. It's an automatic debit every two weeks. And that allows you a form of credit without interest, without fees. So I think a lot of it is not the technology, it's the solution. Like, what do customers want, what their needs are? And that's how you'll be relevant rather than what the form is. I com completely agree with that. I think it's the, the continual movement from products to services, you know, and actually how those services fit around day-to-day -day lives for people. So enabling them to do something but without getting themselves into to, to debt that they can't understand, that isn't underwritten, that they can't deal with. Um, and, and the more and more things that are actually out there in the market that are services rather than just products. Absolutely. It's actually about having the product on a day-to-day -day basis and using it, mm. not just buying the product in the first place. Absolutely. And I think from a retail point of view, Klarna started out as making it work online. Just, can I purchase this thing? Then it went to conversion. And now it's an experience. Mm. And this is a differentiator for retailers, but also it's A, about what are we solving for and the, the customer needs. The second thing is all the different points of friction around um, a purchase. And this is A, can I afford it? B, I need to see this before I make the decision. Is the return management, delivery tracking? So this is actually a little bit like what we um, have sort of the concierge economy. is a bit like, 
what are the services we can provide around the transaction. I mean, um, and, and, you know, just talking about the experience, um, we can talk a little bit about mobile payments, maybe, I think, because we, we talk quite a lot about um, payments in other parts of the world sort of leapfrogging. So they go, rather, they, they cut out cards, basically. If you look at a lot of the payments mechanisms in places like Africa, they haven't bothered to, with debit. Well, yes, you can pay with debit and master uh, credit cards in some places, but generally speaking, they're using a lot of the mobile technologies, the, the credits there. Um, you know, do we, is that something you think we're going to, because we talked a little bit about what potential other payment methods are, is that something we're going to see more here? I mean, because mobile payments, as we said, is just a virtual card. Are there other pain points that can be alleviated by getting rid of those rails? I guess it's my question. It's very long-winded. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff that you can do with the mobile display as well related to the payments. So it's, it's not only about uh, um, the physical form factor being transformed, as, as, uh, as you explained, like... And there's opportunities to, to make the consumption more, more visible. And, and through that, my, my sort of gut feeling is that uh, actually in payments, we're going to see the same thing that we, we saw in messaging. Meaning that uh, like if we're going to message, we're going to use email. If, if me and David are going to exchange messages, probably over Twitter, usually. That's um, very likely, yeah. And, and, and if, if I will message to, to our you know, comms director, it'll be a phone call after this one. But in any case, there's different forms for different use cases which are best fitting for those needs. And similarly, we're going to see in mobile payments or payments in general, lots of different ways uh, to communicate or pay. And I think, I think the point as well that when you're looking at a mobile payment, you can get a lot more information displayed instantly. So instant notifications, um, you know, you're, you're making a mobile payment, it shows up on your phone straight away. You don't have to wait and go and look at your, your transaction history to see it. Well, I, th I think it's interesting, though, because we're, we're seeing the, you know, people were getting all excited about, you know, Uberization of payment systems and the removal of friction. So, you know, the, the things that we're seeing tonight, whether it, when it's, uh, you know, whether it's face recognition or whether it's, you know, fingerprint scan or vein or whatever, you know, do you see this stop making it the customer's problem? You know, actually, how do you get all of the uh, financial services and stuff out of the way and allow people to do the thing? What, what, what do you think is the next step on that? Do you think it's going to be faced? Because it's great to get cocktails, but do you think it's going to be great for everything? Yeah, well, at least we don't believe it that way for, for starters. I, I think there's a huge potential, but as, as I mentioned, like there's, been, uh, there's going to be a, a selection of different options for different use cases. I, I wouldn't certainly buy a car uh, using facial recognition payments, and I'm not recommending that for anybody, but for like everyday, like contactless use cases, lunch, bus tickets, whatever, uh, it's going to be really, really transformative there. I'm really interested to see in about three hours when I've had like 15 of those cocktails, and, and I'm looking very different to what I am now. <laughs> still right? yeah, you're like, still upright after yeah. 15 of those cocktails. I, I'm going to really <laughs> robustly test that thing, just like for all of your sake, I'll, I'm going to put myself out there, don't worry about it. That's probably when the second might, factor kicks in. It might in. recognize you, but you won't recognize yourself. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, did, you, did you want to add to that point before we got distracted by David's drinking problem? No, not, nothing to add from me. <laughs> um, so um, we've talked about biometrics, talked about mobile payments. Do you want to look at the B2B side a little bit? So 80% um, of all Finnish invoices are now, uh, sorry, 80% of all Finnish business-to-business -business invoices are electronic, and that number is also on the rise across Europe more broadly. So um, we've looked at consumer payments. What about business payments? What are the implications of making those electronic for businesses or for their end customers, in fact? Well, for sure, there's going to be a lot of innovation required to, you know, make the, the loan instruments uh, and the procurement process uh, run, run more smoothly. Uh, I think there's a lot of room for innovation in, in Finnish uh, payments landscape in, in that particularly. 
But again, at the late 90s, we were pioneering um, e-invoice concept, which didn't really take off elsewhere in, in the Europe, but that's why you see those high, high ratings. So also businesses are using those e-invoices, but um, fundamentally to, to do a, a meaningful factoring or whatever the next brand will be, uh, those need to be integrated to the procurement or accounting platforms. And um, we're at least well on, on, on our way. We're experimenting with a couple of... Uh, purchase order related um, factoring products. So I guess the idea is that the, the B2B invoices and, and making the business to business payments electronic opens you opens up other services. So um, factoring is one, um, financing is not, Klarna does financing for small businesses as well and, yes. and that presumably relies quite heavily on electronic integration I'm guessing. Yeah, uh, like I think this is a very natural step for us and we're not the first to do it, we're actually a bit late uh, to be honest. But um, it's, we know our merchants really well. Um, this is a small, medium size. You know, these are when we, we see the transactions, but we also see the challenges they have. And I think it's well known that cash flow management and just working capital is still an issue. Um, like even with micro enterprises, if you look at how they're, they, a lot of them self-funded with a credit card, then family and friends, it was a bootstrapping. But they're still not at a stage yet where they have that ability or collateral to, to go to a bank. And I think the whole process is like, this is not about bank bashing, but the small... Uh, medium, a little bit of bank bashing, mm, a little bit. But the SME segment has not been well served on the financing side, and I think that is generally acknowledged. But For sure. For us, um, I think part of this is a deeper relationship as well with the merchant. And um, like uh, the, what I'm kind of proud of is that we just launched this quite recently, and we were put head-to-head -head with PayPal, and we came out better. Uh, well yeah, done. And like, <laughs> but it is also um, about how you understand the needs of merchants overall. And if they, like, it, this is not an open line of credit either, but it's an automated process using our underwriting. We're capitalized as a bank. It's really natural step for us. No, I, I completely agree with that. I think the, um, you know, it's not just, well, I was about to say it's not just Europe, but it's the UK as well. Like, in my brain, I'm separating those two things already. Like, I feel quite... Brexit? Brexit hasn't happened yet, right? So it may be undone, so... I'm just you know. looking at David's jumper, which for people at home says, all I want for Christmas is EU. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not down for Brexit, just to put it out there. But, uh, but uh, I think it, it is an amazing thing that the, the SME space has been so underserved, mm -hmm. hasn't it? But if you have access to digital invoicing, that gives you such a breadth of information that actually you can help people manage things much more effectively. You know, we, we've just um, launched a bank with NatWest in the UK, specifically focusing on the SME space, which is all about forward-looking. So if you can predict cash flow, you can actually help people um, rather than it just be, you know, here's what you should have done differently. It's about really helping people make better decisions. Um, and, you know, a fully sort of digitized environment for me means that's even possible. Um, but can that go too far? Do you think it's possible for us to go too far here? So to explain a little bit um, what I mean here, do you think it could be exclusionary? Do you think it gets to the point where if you're not um, hooked into those electronic systems, you're not able to get the best rates, for example? So say you are a small business that doesn't have access to e-invoicing or its records um, in a digital form. Do you think people get left behind? And if, you, if they do, do you, how do you think we combat that? How do we prevent that happening? Hmm, like, uh, what, what if people don't um, go into a smartphone generation and start using those services? I, I, I think it's, people have the right to choose not to use technology. Um, it is up to us and the other sort of service developers to make the techno technology as appealing and useful as, as it can be. Um, 
So I'd like to believe that once people see the value, they actually convert. I mean, and I suppose maybe on the consumer side as well, I know you, um, I'm thinking about Sweden, which has said it's going to go cashless, but recently they had said maybe they had to pull back that deadline because they hadn't quite worked out how to get those vulnerable populations. Um, because, I mean, I know you say that you can choose not to use a smartphone, but there will be some people, certainly of the older generation, who can't afford a smartphone or, or don't know how to learn, how to begin learning to use one. So do you think that there's, I'm just, I'm just, I'm looking at you because I know you spend time in Sweden, but do you think that there are, is a duty of some, maybe some of the electronic payments providers to help people learn how to use it, to, to, to educate people? Yeah, I, I think it's, there is some education and accessibility and, you know, this is not only to, like, I think in Sweden, one of the challenges is geographic and this comes down to infrastructure and there's still a lot of isolated communities and there's things like that. But overall, even with the services online, we need to make sure that they are accessible to all. And, and this is why in Sweden, we're not, we're not talking about digitally native as a millennial. We, you know, we have, when we look at our demographics, actually it's all ages and they use it for different reasons and whatnot. So we do a lot of A-B testing to make sure that this just doesn't, exclude or you know etc but i think on cash um well i think actually what's more interesting is contactless is not really in sweden yet so people oh, are still using yeah and i i find it really funny because i'm in london and this is on the tube and this is everywhere and so sweden is cashless but we're still card heavy in putting it in putting the the pin in so there's I actually think there's different ways of evolving and i think this is you know africa went from no landlines to mobile straight away. There's lots of parallels in different uh, sectors around this as well. Well, thank you so much for all of... Um, thank you so much for both of you, in fact, for joining us. That, in fact, concludes part one of this evening. Thank you so much to our guests, Aoife and Ashkir. Thank you, audience, for participating so far, but don't go anywhere because we've got a game for you to play. Um, please give these guys a round of applause as they head off the stage. Thank, thank you very much. All right, um, so we're going to kind of test your knowledge a little bit on this one, and some of these are going to get a little bit weird. Um, so um, trying to really understand how well you know payments. So we're going to name some ways that you can pay, or the ways that you have paid in the past, and you've got to guess which one of these are real and which one of these are fake. Uh, and I have to say that some of them are reasonably bizarre in this space. Okay, so the first one up, um, who thinks that salt is a payments mechanism or has been a payments mechanism? Hands up, can you cheer as well? Cheer? Yes, salt, real or not real? Real? Wow, so, so only about six people. So the six people who put your hand up are right. Okay, so it was a nice and easy one we thought to get you started, but um, pretty much the primary currency in East Africa in the Middle Ages uh, and apparently salt is the word that came from salary. So if you guys don't want your salaries anymore, then you probably need to think about this one. Interesting. Interesting one, right? Okay, this next one and is possibly the weirdest one. So this is squirrel skins. So yes. stick cheer. Your, cheer if you think we squirrel can't see skins. You. Okay, a lot of people in the room think you can pay with a squirrel skin. Wow, okay. Are you all fins by any chance? Yeah, this one is real. So you can pay with squirrel skin. So uh, not only was this one that was actually real back in the day, so uh, squirrel pelts were used, but their claws and noses were used to give people change. And what's even weirder is that apparently it's still legal tender in Finland today. One skin is worth three cents. So, 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 so wait, wait, wait. Maybe we should change. Like, in addition to paying with your face, you can alternately use squirrels. Yeah. I mean... 
I don't want to be the merchant who has to start accepting the squirrel skins. Okay. But, um, yeah. Well, it, it's legal tendy, so uh, go kill some squirrels and you'll get yourself a Negroni, which is great. All right, next up, we have uh, Parmesan cheese. Do you think that is a real payments mechanism? Nobody. Okay. Oh, no, one, one man. One wow. gentleman All right. down there. Yep, it is a real payments mechanism. So this was, uh, for a time, accepted as bank collateral in Italy. I guess... Italians will do anything for cheese, right? I yeah, we've got the... one in our team as well. Um, right. Okay, next up we have blood. What do you think? Blood as a payments mechanism? Oh yeah, okay, who, some vampires who, in the room. Who was that? Put your hand up. All right. No, this wasn't a payments mechanism. And I fear we found the vampire in the audience, which is good. So it's after dark to a Watch new degree. Watch that man. Yeah. All right, next up we have uh, Bitcoin. Well, that's, that's, a, that's like a touchy subject a bit, for some people, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's a bit of an clearly. indie joke. Yeah. Um, like, as a, just a, a point of reference, who's still holding? Like, is anybody still, like, keeping hold of that stuff, trying to... Yeah? All right. Yeah. Where's wow. Simon, by the way? We need, need Simon for this topic. Yeah. <laughs> so, We're going to move swiftly on, I think. We're going to fall down do that rabbit hole. All right. Last up. So we have data. What do you think? Data is a payments mechanism actually being used? Well, they, they do oh, say that the gentleman data, down there? Yep, yeah, he thinks yes. That, that, I think that guy's literally put his hand up for everything, though, if I'm honest with you. He's just, like, just super pumped to be here. It's no, great. No, 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 he, no he's in, yeah. yep. Laura, do you want to see what he says? So, so sir, hat, why, why do you think data could be used as a payments mechanism? Uh, advertising. You are absolutely right. So we, we mentioned in the news show a few weeks ago that some coffee shops in the US will give away free coffee in exchange for students leaving their personal data and consent to be targeted by advertising. And it just showed, like, students would literally do anything for something free, didn't it? <laughs> I think that's what we proved in that point. Okay, well, um, we're going we're gonna to move on to the second part of the show. We're pleased that the audience can have a little bit of a break. Um, in this part of the show, we want to talk about the growing rise of cashlessness. So we touched not a bit on the first half, um, but we're going to talk about how Scandinavia is leading Europe in this. Awesome. All right, for this part of the show, we have uh, two more awesome guests. So coming up, we have Anthony Crawford, who is the Director of Venture and Startup Engagement at Visa Europe. Um, and joining him also, we have Sammy, who is the CEO and founder of Tomorrow Tech. Welcome them to the stage. You came armed with, oh, beers, not cocktails. Okay. Nice. Good work. All right, Sammy, tell us a little bit more about what you do. Yeah, so I'm uh, from the company called Tomorrow Tech, and what we're doing is we're building a digital platform that enables you to buy or sell an apartment digitally, uh, and we're using uh, distributed ledger technology for building that platform. And on top of that, um, I also host a podcast called The Boss Level, and I'm also a death metal vocalist. Nice plug. You're a death metal vocalist. Yes, and that's oh. very important since we're in Finland, because... Finland has, like, per capita, the most amount of metal bands in the world. Wow. So basically, like, every third person here is probably in a metal band. This, this I, may I, get me in trouble, but yeah, didn't a death I, metal band win the Eurovision from Finland one year? Well, yeah. that, that wasn't a death metal band. <laughs> oh, but, but okay, like, but I was close. I was close. <laughs> I, I didn't realize you could get hipster about death metal, did you? Like, this is, like, a, new, a whole new thing. All right. There are so many genres within it. <laughs> we can spend the whole podcast talking about the different genres within metal, if you want. Should we, should we do that, Sarah, do you think? <laughs> Laura says no. no. All right, we'll move on. All right, Sammy, uh, Anthony, sorry, tell me a little bit more. I work for a small company called Visa, who you may have heard of. Um, I work in our venture team, so we look at how can Visa engage and work and partner with startups. 
and bring them into a visa network and where it makes sense, invest in, we've got $100 million to invest in Europe right now. Wow, you're going to be mobbed when you get off the stage. As soon as like, you say you've got $100 million to invest, there's like 50 people at the stairs. You've got to be careful. It's the best lead generation we've ever had. It's easy. <laughs> All right, so on to cashlessness. I've got some stats. I, I, love, I love a stat. So Finland accounts for 1% of the population of the EU, but the use of debit and credit cards in the country is far, far higher than the EU average. And accounts, so Finland accounts for 2% of all EU cashless transactions, which is 2,200 million transactions a year. Um, Finland has reduced the number of its ATMs by 20% over four years and cash by 16%. Two-thirds of consumers receive e-invoices through their online bank. Um, and cashlessness is so prevalent that even Finnish churches apparently have updated their collections to be able to uh, collect donations virtually. Um, I mean, I think that's quite impressive. In my experience, the church, no church is particularly innovative, certainly when it comes to accepting payments. Um, and apparently the numbers in Sweden are even higher than in Finland. So I'll let the, the um, Scandinavians battle that out later. Wow. Um, that, that's crazy. Like, Sammy, put this in context. Does that sound about right in day-to-day life? So I have a son who's two years old and, and I actually bought him from a flea market. I bought this cash register toy that has coins and you put the coins in and you can press some buttons and then you can get the coins out and so on. And he loves to play with the toy, but it's kind of funny because he doesn't really understand it. He likes to play with it, but it doesn't really understand it because in real life, he has never seen a coin, <laughs> never in his life. Wow. So I guess that kind of tells you something because he's never seen a coin. That means that in two years... There's no, been no cash in our house. That's so quite it, scary, right? I was in Denmark a few years ago, and a gentleman gave me some... I, for some reason, I had cash. I think somebody had given it to me because they never used it. And the gentleman gave me change, and it was a coin with a hole in it. And he said, yeah, the kids who just wear those as necklaces, they don't really know what to do with it. They don't spend it. Um, so, I mean, how long do you think you could go without using cash? I mean, you're saying two years in your household, he's never seen cash. Only when I travel to Germany. I did visit Germany, but apart from that, like, it's been like three, four years. It's weird. I, I have almost no change ever for anything. And it's, uh, it is weird how that has sort of changed life, isn't it? Contactless yeah. payments are just kind of everywhere, aren't they? What, what about you guys in the audience? Like, is, is contactless or generally sort of digital payments the, the type of thing? Like, when was the last time you actually used cash? So was it a day ago? No. Anybody? So one guy, okay. One guy. What, what about like it during the last week? Anybody use cash payments? Okay, a few more. Were you in Germany? No. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Maybe in Germany. Okay. All right. No, not not here though. No. Okay. And what about within the last month? Has that, uh, uh, you guys used cash in the last month? I found a five-pound note in my handbag and I had to spend it. Nice. I don't know how long it'd been there. Gift to yourself. And it, and it does seem strange, doesn't it? Like the thing that used to make the money go around is now just not used in any way, shape or form. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a popular cultural change, I would say. Um, and I would, I would be interested to know how that cultural change um, affects how you innovate. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up the Swedish story of about 4,000 people in Sweden have these chips in their hands, which are basically NFC chips. Now, obviously, that's a form of innovation that could never have even been contemplated had the Swedes not adopted and embraced contactless so, um, so entirely. So I guess my question is, firstly, you know, what impact does it have on, on the countries you're operating in? And secondly, do you think that we will see different levels of innovation in different parts of the world? So, for example, what do you think the next level of innovation will be in Germany, given that they still rely so heavily on cash? Contactless cards, right? <laughs> well, I mean, that 
that implant, there was, we were in Sweden two years ago, and one guy had done it himself. So he'd taken his bank card, cut it to pieces, put it inside an implant, and it's like, see, it works. I'm, I'm physically, like, shuddering at the thought, but yeah. I was just amazed. I got 4,000 people to say yes. Yeah. That was like, I was expecting 100 people for a pilot, but 4,000 is pretty significant. Yeah, it was actually, it just reminds me, I was actually at the, uh, at the venue when, like, some years ago, the first... First, actually, chip implant happened in Finland, and they did it live on stage, and I was there. And they actually pushed the chip into the hand, and it was pretty, well, impressive. Kind of, yeah. I have a colleague uh, who has done it himself. I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my brain just goes to think about how they microchip dogs and cats. Um, but, you know, outside of that, what kind of other innovation do you think... So cashlessness can drive maybe going back to the charity sector do you think we're going to be forced to see innovation in sectors maybe we wouldn't have done previously so about the church is having to innovate in how it accepts money have you seen I, mean, I think maybe over here the big issue sellers like charity sellers are now taking is, is that something we're going to see more of do you think so we've worked with some of those people it's a like big issue have all these guys who are now getting a digital bank account who they've never had before right but they don't have a name or a, they don't have an address and they have no proof of ID so how do they KYC them We've done a lot of work around that contactless donation, and actually it creates this new opportunity to do gift aid. So today, when you put cash in a bank, it's got no name attached to it, so you can't claim the gift aid back. But now on contactless, you can lift it back to who the bank account owner is, and that person can make the gift aid declaration. So we're just doing that with the Natural History Museum right now. Right, and I think there's a range of different sort of invisible payments uh, opportunities, like uh, once payments moves behind the scenes, uh, all sorts of new subscription-based uh, opportunities rise uh, uh, using things as a service, essentially. And, and that may change how we, you know, essentially use consumer products uh, every day. Yeah, I I, I'm, I'm just going to say I'm intrigued to see innovation in children's toys. So if, uh, if your son is playing with this archaic, um, uh, what he thinks is archaic till, I wonder what we'll see next uh, for, for him. Yeah, it's actually like he also, when he plays with that, uh, he also likes me to come in and put my card there and just make a sound because that's what he knows <laughs> is payment. <laughs> So that actually works for him. So I, I have seen this actually. So I've got a four-year-old and a six-year-old, and the latest version of Monopoly that we bought is actually cashless. So it's a what? contactless payment really? version of Monopoly. You don't issue any cash in it at all, which is wow. just weird, you know. I think it's getting kids to not think about money. But uh, and, and to be honest with you, like, I wonder how many times it's, uh, it changes the way people learn because, you know, things being divisible by... You know, 25, you know, 25 or 50p or 5p or 10p. I wonder if it starts to change how people sort of learn about money because mm. there's kind of no cap on contactless, right? It, it actually does. Like what we've been researching with the kids from 10 to 60 year old olds is that they've not, not actually seen cash either in, in, in broad strokes. And, and that means that they don't really understand the concept of running out. So we've had actually had to create products that are visually helping you understand that when you spend money, you have less of it after that. Yeah, no, there was, there was an interesting uh, um, survey, which is, so talking about the risks, and so one of the risks of cashless payment is that people no longer understand the value of money in the sense they just keep tap, 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 tapping, and oh God, I'm overdrawn, and it's gone. Um, do, do, I mean, can you guys talk maybe a little bit more about some of the other risks? So if you're going very heavily towards a cashless society, what happens if your electronic payment system goes down? and the whole country goes down. And I'm not looking at you, Anthony. Um, Pass. <laughs> not, not to put you in an awkward position. But, but, I mean, but I mean, generally speaking, what ideas do you guys have about contingency? How do you prevent that happening? Please bottle it, because we'll, we'll sell it for billions. 
so I mean, yeah. That, <laughs> this uh, is yours. <laughs> I, I have to answer this one, right? So, yeah, I mean, everybody designed around the system. They just assumed it was infallible. And now we're just seeing that security and resiliency is not a cash, case of if it will go down, it's just a case of when, right? That timeline is going on. We'd had 70 years of uninterrupted servers and we just didn't think it was going to happen. Um, and so now you look at actually how does that entire network and ecosystem manage it? Because it's not just for one day it goes down. It's then how does all the banks communicate back to their customers and say, actually, here's how we manage a risk. How do you make sure the data is replicated so everybody isn't reliant on a single system of record and maybe some distributed ledger technology? I was going to say, this is the fabled VC pitch for DLT, right? Sure, and, and I, I think what, one of the kind of the aspects that we are going to lose when we lose cash, and if, if we're just using like banking systems, is that like with cash, you can still be anonymous. So for, that, that could be useful. For example, if you want to buy a VPN service, let's say, then buying a VPN service with cash, then you can actually get a good decent amount of anonymity. But if you make that payment with a card, then again, someone can connect you to that account. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is removing all of that, isn't it? The traceability about day-to-day -day actions for individuals. It, it's almost, um, and we've, we've seen this in various different fintechs that have come along. You've had, you know, Monzo have been, in the UK, have been talked about as the, the fun card. You know, they've become the, the ones that people spend at parties because it's got a luminescent card type thing, whereas, like, you do all the boring stuff on a different one type thing. So I, I do wonder if people will take out different ways of using prepaid or using uh, cash more and more for the stuff that they, you know, really don't want to appear on a statement, you know? Well, yeah, I, I kind of see one of the use cases, again, like car combi combined with a mobile app, is that uh, you can do a lot of stuff in the mobile app. Curve is another one, one great example where mm. you can choose the payment instrument. But I, I think that, uh, you know, over time we will see mobile as a companion to the card rather than a competitor. And what that means is that you can do all sorts of stuff like uh, um, have it paid in, in different parts and, and so forth. And it's not like just because things are all the criminals are only using cash, right? Like criminals are finding ways to move money digitally already, and there's that arms race is already on its way. So Gift to, cards. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, to talk, that leads us on quite nicely, I suppose, a little bit towards sort of talking about security. So um, there's obviously trying to prevent uh, you know money laundering and fraud, but what about the security of, of my payments? Because in my experience, the fraudsters can move just as fast, if not faster, a lot of the time than the payments providers. So. Um, Anthony, maybe you can give us a quick overview of the Visa token service, because um, that's one thing that's trying to prevent that, that's working towards preventing that. So everybody knows that when you're shopping online, because you will do it, you're admitted to it, you've got your card sitting on 30 different websites in the world. To your point, if a fraudster takes down TalkTalk Talk or PlayStation, they have access to all your details. So as soon as you have those card details at rest, they're at risk, and it's actually businesses need to start looking at their data as a liability, not an asset in that way. Um, so with a Visa token service, instead of having a copy directly of your credit card number there, we give you a one-time token, which is uniquely linked to that merchant or that use case. So we see it used in mobile payments. So in Apple Pay, you have a unique token linked to that phone. If a fraudster is able to take that card number or that token, it's actually cryptographically linked to that device. So unless they have your phone and your device and your fingerprint, that data is worthless. Yeah. What I kind of like to see with that is like, with passwords, if you think about what happened with your passwords, at least most people hopefully are using password managers where you don't actually know your passwords anymore. You just have a registry and you just use the application to log into all the services. It would be great if you could just like have that app, but for your credit card. So you, you just like, you push that I'm gonna insert a credit card, it just inserts a credit card. You don't even need to know what the number is, you don't need to know anything about that. You just have a, like a, 
app that does all that for you. And I think that's, that's where Apple Pay and Android and Google Pay really are, right? The Uber experience of you don't even think about it. It's just automatic in the background. You can hide all the complexity. You never actually have to put in 16 numbers. You just say, yeah, link it. It, it is in, an interesting point, though, because the more we rely on systems and algorithms, the less we remember ourselves. You know, like my mum had this exact situation a couple of weeks ago where she had to get into HSBC and she changed apps, you know, changed phones. So not remembering any of her passwords, it meant two hours on the phone to try and figure it out. Um, and because of, you know, it's either, you know, you either have to remember 15 passwords or you rely on Touch ID. And if you rely on Touch ID, it's going to be broken at some point, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, what we are talking about here, though, is we, we've kind of accepted cashlessness is coming and we're trying to find ways to make it secure and, and, and user-friendly. Um, I want to be a little bit provocative here. So Scandinavia seems to be leading the way in cashlessness. Do you guys think that at least one Scandinavian country will be cashless by, say, in the next 10 years? And if so, which one? <laughs> this, is my, yeah. this is the close out of this section, so, well, well, you know. Well, I guess the Swedes have already declared that, that they will be there. Um, I'm hoping that things will be there, but uh, um, personally, I, I think that none of us will be totally there. Uh, there will be, a, as, as long as people want to use cash, and as long as there's use cases for using cash, for the obvious reasons that Sami mentioned, there will be cash around. Okay. Um, I think nobody will ever get cashless, even if one country does. So Sweden may declare it's cashless, but there'll be people with kroners across the border and people with euros, right? Criminals all over the world use US dollars, even though it's not their national currency, right? That will still exist and be in circulation. Okay. Yeah, I, I think Christian also already said it. The Swedes are ahead, and, and, and once again, I think... It's not that relevant if, if, if it doesn't really matter if we can get like 100% cashless. What, what matters is like how close and like how much of your life can you do digitally. It doesn't really matter if there's certain parts or certain things that you still, still can do with cash. That's not really a problem. That's, that's very diplomatically answered, all of you, I have to say. Is that because you're heading off stage in a minute and you don't want to be attacked? <laughs> I, I think it'll be really interesting. I think similar to like browsing capability, I think a lot of people are, are willing to give away data to make their internet experience better. And I wonder at some point, you know, now that we've got the anonymity kind of, you know, private browsing view in, in web browsing, I wonder at what point when we make a payment, do we say, you know, I don't want this data appearing in my statement or, you know, I, I think it's not very far away. Yeah, and I think that, that is something that like, people are trying to solve with cryptocurrencies and, and, and stuff like that. And, and, and that's, I think there is a legitimate real need for an anonymity and it's actually important for you, you to be able to have privacy. It's just that cryptocurrencies often like, lack these very basic things that we do need, like anti-money laundering and, and stuff like that. Small things, so, small <laughs> things small, like small AML, things. yeah. No, so, so that's why I'm kind of looking forward to solutions that kind of provide provide anonymity when you need it. You can kind of get a private mode if, if you want, want one, but it still doesn't need to necessarily be like one where like mostly is used for drug money or something. Well, on that note, um, I'm going to draw a line under the debate because I think that debate could take us down a, a completely different rabbit hole. And I don't know if there are any regulators in the room, but I'm slightly scared that there might be. Um, so everybody, please thank our guests, Anthony and Sammy. And guys, please, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, that concludes a really very special version of Fintech Insider Live, uh, live from Helsinki. Um, before 
you all head back to the bar and this party really gets underway. And we just have time to say thank you so much to all of our guests. So could you please give a big round of applause for Christian, for Aoife, for Ishka, for Anthony and for Sammy. And most importantly, we should thank you guys for putting up with us, bearing with us and clapping where you needed to. So give yourself a big round of applause, everybody. Um, and thanks so much, not only to Christian, but his, um, he's got a great team behind him, to Majana and all the rest of the team at OP. Um, as, uh, you know, and as usual, thanks so much to our media team, to so producer Laura, who's been scowling at me when I've been going off track, to Pet, to Simone, and to Michael, who have been helping us put all this together. A big round of applause for them as well. All right. Okay. So if don't forget uh, to subscribe to Fintech Insider wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media to find out much more exclusive content from what we do. Uh, if you subscribe to the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. We love listening to those reviews. Uh, Helsinki, you've been awesome. Thanks for listening to Fintech Insider. Goodbye. Goodbye.